So this morning we're talking about strong, strong. Second Chronicles 16, 9, the Lord says this. He says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. How many know that God wants to show himself strong, but he also wants to make you strong? And all he requires from you, he doesn't require you uh, going to the gym, although that's a good thing for you to do. Uh, he doesn't require you to jump through hoops to be strong. He requires you to be dedicated and loyal to him. He's saying, if you'll be dedicated and loyal to me, I will make you strong in every situation. I will have favor on your life. My grace will overtake you. My blessings will overtake you. All you have to do is dedicate yourself. Let your heart be loyal to me. And so that's what we're talking about in this series, being strong. Today, I want to focus for a few moments and just encourage you uh, on a subject called strong in workplace mission. Strong in workplace mission. So I'm going to talk a little bit about being strong in your workplace and also in school. Uh, but I, you know, how many know that if you really look at it, most people who work in life spend about 90 thousand hours of your life working in the workplace maybe a little over one-third of your life is spent in the workplace so I would think that that would be something that we should talk about as it relates to being a Christian it's a huge part of your life it's not just something oh it's work is over here and and now I'm going to be a Christian but then I'll go to work and get that out of the way and now I'll come back to being a Christian you see, because Christianity is what? Who you are, not just what you do. So if you're a Christian at home, if you're a Christian on Sunday morning while we sing what a beautiful name it is, if you're a Christian when someone calls you and wants to talk about uh, what the doctor's report was and you want to pray for them and tell them about we walk by faith and not by sight, if you're a Christian during all of those times, you're a Christian at work when your boss is yelling at you and you were a little bit late because of an accident and uh, things didn't go right and the other person got their promotion, you're still a Christian during those times. And so we want to talk about God making you strong in workplace mission. I mean, marketplace and workplace mission, this is, uh, this is when your passion uh, and God takes your passion and he takes your purpose, your business, your life, your dreams, and he brings them all together. And we must have a biblical basis for expanding the kingdom as it relates to workplace mission. You know, we must have a biblical base for expanding the kingdom in all areas of our life, not just at church on Sunday morning. In fact, Really, some people look at this as a refueling station. This is not where the kingdom is expanded. Most of the time, we have altar call, and yes, there are people who get saved on Sunday morning, but for the most part, this is not where the kingdom is expanded. Honestly, if you were just to be honest, where it's expanded is out there, in the marketplace, right, at the grocery store, when you're out uh, at your kid's softball game. That's where the kingdom is expanded. And a big part of that is in our workplace. I was reading something from Bill Bright. Uh, he started Campus Crusade for Christ. Anybody ever heard of that? Uh, yeah, him and his wife, Annetta, they started that years and years ago. I believe he's passed on now, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, years ago, they started that. And he, he wrote something called uh, Reclaiming the Seven Mountains of Culture. And I found this to be, you read that, I found it to be very interesting 
Uh, there's even a website, uh, set, the number seven uh, cultural mountains, if you ever want to go to that. And they just, it's an ongoing uh, movement, actually. But just let me throw at you these seven mountains that he talked about. Number one was family. He's talking about, uh, as it relates to Christians, reclaiming. The, these are things that influence our culture. Let me just backtrack for one moment and let you know that culture, really, there's a lot of definitions for culture. We kind of talked about this before. Uh, and culture can seem to be convoluted. Well, what is culture and all of your values and your mission statement and your strategies and all of that? It's all, you know what culture really is? It's just how we do things here. That's how we do. At our house, this is how we do things. That's our culture. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. Everybody, men have a culture, women have a culture, uh, ethnicities have a culture, countries have a culture, churches have a culture, local churches have uh, different cultures. And so you'll find cultures everywhere. But when you talk about the culture of society as a whole, there is a culture that we as humans also have and share. And so when you talk about culture as society as a whole, these are seven things uh, Bill is saying that really uh, we need to reclaim as Christians and have more influence in. So family is number one. We need to really establish God and restore Christ. May we do that as the head of our families? We really need to do that. Uh, the second one was education. You know, there's a lot to say about education. This could be a message and a sermon in itself, really. Uh, but education should reflect the truth about God and man so that the truth will make us free. Uh, our education system, I know at least in the West, uh, as it is, is very, very good. It's a very good, people come from all around the world uh, to take part in our education system. Uh, but at the same time, it lacks so much where it comes to Christianity, spirituality, and Christ. It lacks so much uh, in that area. And so that's a place we need to take back. Media, how many know God really was the first person to instill social media? <laughs> He talked to man in so many ways. I mean, uh, from the burn, burning bush, a, 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 a voice from the sky, signs, writings on the wall. Hey, come on, God had social media first. Don't act like we just made this up. God was doing this the whole time. And so God is all about media, just his way, his way. God, God communicates with us through a variety of ways, all right? Right along those same lines, arts and entertainment is something that we need to reclaim. We need to reclaim arts and entertainment. We know that. Our force knows that. Uh, you know, he talked about it. I mean, it should really reflect uh, the, the glory and majesty of our creator. Let me tell you something about arts and entertainment. Entertainment is a godly thing. I, I just want to let you know that. I, you know, growing up in church, and this, this was probably part of uh, the culture that I was in growing up, but I heard this statement a lot uh, growing up in church when, Maybe a preacher would get up to preach or someone would get up to sing, you know, and they were very talented, uh, which sometimes we mistook for anointed, but uh, they were very, very talented, gifted, and skilled, whatever they uh, may be, and they would get up and say, well, I'm not up here to entertain. I'm just up here to praise the Lord. And uh, it's a great sentiment, it's, and it's, it's true sentiment. I get that. Praising God and uh, acknowledging Him and worshiping Him should absolutely be first. But I want to tell you, if somebody gets up and they sound horrible, they can't sing, they can't find the note, much less hit the note, then uh, I, that's not really glorifying God to me. <laughs> and it's not entertaining. <laughs> right? And so uh, there, is a, there is a part to that where God is okay for us to be entertained as long as that's not above glorifying God. 
Everything has to be below glorifying God. You understand that? So as long as we have that established, it's okay to be entertained. We do. We love to let Jesus uh, and his disciples, there were times, although he was a man of sorrows because he was on a mission. We know he was on a specific mission, and he only had a certain amount of time. But uh, even Jesus, uh, you know, I, I believe there were times when he and his disciples laughed, and they were entertained. They went to the wedding at Cana, and you, uh, you can't tell me that they were just there being stoic and not laughing, you know, at their cousins and how silly they were and all of those types of things. It's okay to be entertained, but we need to reclaim that mountain of culture. Uh, what about government? So much to talk about with government, and don't even get me started on it. Because the way we have it set up, as great as it is, and you probably, uh, you know, I don't even know how far I should go into it, but uh, the way we have it set, the way that most of the world has it set up is not really biblical, not the way that God initially wanted it. Here's what it boils down to. It's the kingdom of God. God is a king, and that's the way it's supposed to be. He's the king, and whatever he says goes, and uh, we're in his kingdom. That's the way he initially set it up. But God is graceful. If, if, we, if God never had grace, none of us would probably be here today. Come on. So he's graceful. So we do have a system of government and all of that. And, but we need to reclaim that for God. It needs to glorify God and not man. And I, and I can't speak about all the governments in the world, but I know our government glorifies man, and I'll just leave it at that. It really does. <laughs> what about religion? That's an interesting word, religion. You know, God never gave man a religion, but an opportunity for an intimate relationship with man's creator. And by the way, you, you well know that when I say man, I'm talking about human, mankind, not male, uh, but man, all of us, woman, man. Uh, he gave us an opportunity for an intimate relationship. And so we need to reclaim religion and change it as Jesus came to do from what we know to be religion to relationship. So it really should be relationship and not religion. And then business or marketplace. This should be viewed as a place to worship God. This is what I want to encourage you about today. This is one of his seven mountains of culture. Business. Place to worship God through our area of calling. May we worship you, God, through our gifts and our talents and what we do every day in life. It's a place where we want to worship God. We need to really change our thought process about our workplace. <laughs> now, I know that there are many people who feel like, well, you know, this, this, this workplace I'm in, you know, my boss uh, uh, gets on my nerves and, uh, you know, some of my coworkers, I'm offended and I'm, I should have got the promotion. There's a lot. There's so many things that we can find wrong in our workplace. I used to work uh, in the corporate world for AT&T. And I tell you what, I could just sit one day and take an eight-hour day and find all the things wrong with AT&T, starting at the top with the CEO and how they do things in the corporate headquarters at Dallas and how they view us and the decisions they make all the way down. I could fill three notebooks full of things that I feel should be changed, uh, you know, at this company and the way that they treat people and the way that it will be better. I could do all of that in an eight-hour day. I believe you could do that anywhere. You could go to church. <laughs> And you can spend a Sunday morning service, depending on what service it is. You know, some people go a little long. But you can spend a whole Sunday morning service writing down all the things you find wrong with church. You could be in your family, all the things you find wrong with your spouse, uh, with your mom, with your dad. We could be anywhere. I could go to Kroger and take a notebook and just start writing stuff down. This shouldn't be here. Uh, that person didn't greet me when I came in. That price is too high. We could find stuff wrong with everything. Come on. 
But God is telling us this morning, especially as it relates to our workplace, that we should stop finding things wrong, though they are wrong. We're not saying, he's not saying it's not. But stop finding things that are wrong and start finding things that are right. And you can do that by being an influence. You see, a person who is strong in workplace mission sees their workplace as a God placement. Everybody doesn't do that. Now, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm not saying this is easy to do. But they see it as a God placement where they can focus their faith, where they can serve God, they can influence people for Christ and fulfill their God-given purpose. That's, way, that's what we must see our workplace as. And by the way, our schooling as well. If you're in high school or college, the same thing. You're spending a lot of time there every day. And you need to see that as a place of influence, a place uh, that's a mission field a place that, where you have a massive opportunity. It is a place of influence, and it's a divine appointment. That's the way we need to see our workplace. You know, the message version of uh, Colossians 3.22, um, uh, you know, Eugene Peterson, who came up with a message version, a lot of controversy surrounding him, and, uh, you know, the message version of the Bible. I've said this before, but I'll just throw it out there one more time, is that... Um, you know, really, I kind of look at the message version. We, we do it all the time when we read the Bible, and we say, well, what does that mean to you? And I'll say, well, that means to me this. This is what God is showing me. And I think that's what he did uh, through his message translation of the Bible. Now, for me personally, I do prefer the New King James. That's just me. Uh, but I, I read all kinds of good news translations, NIV, and all of that to sort of expand what I am actually reading, okay? And so uh, I believe he did, a, he did a good thing, and, you know, it's just his expansion. And if you don't like what he has to say, it's a little flowery for me sometimes. That's just me personally. Uh, I didn't mean to get off on that. But I do love some things that he says and his, uh, his interpretation of what God is saying. And I love this here in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, verse 22. We're going to come back to that later. Actually, you might want to go there because we're going to come back to this in your version uh, a little bit. But in the message translation, this is what it says in Colossians 3, uh, beginning at cha uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. In the message translation, it says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. When you hear that word master, don't get all upset. It just means your boss. <laughs> okay, that's all it means. Do what you're told by your boss and don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. He is the ultimate master, and that's why you give your all in school. That's why you want to be excellent at your job. Whatever you do, even if you volunteer for something. Didn't we hear the word this morning? Thank you for us. Expectation. When I hire you, I expect something. And you might not like it. You might not like it when you get into it. Maybe you thought, well, I just need to make some money. The only reason why I'm doing this is just to make some money. Well, that's okay too. But you know what? Now that you committed to doing it, do it with excellence. You said you would do it. And especially when we volunteer for things. We volunteer, we feel like people, are, they're not paying me anyway, so I'll just do this. Well, then don't volunteer. <laughs> or if you're going to volunteer for it, do it with excellence. Why? Because Christ is expecting something from you. He gave you everything. And guess what? He volunteered it. He gave his blood, his perfect blood for you, and he volunteered it. 
What if he said, well, now that I'm up here on the cross, I really don't want to go through this. I mean, I'm volunteering anyway. So uh, I'll just, you know, maybe I'll just cut my finger and give a little blood and just a few people will get saved. What if he did that? That's what we do. That's what we do sometimes when we don't give everything. We need to give everything to God in our workplace, in our school place, whatever we're doing, we need to give it all. Let me, there was, there's a lot of things I had, uh, you know, in terms of how the, the, the traditional views of work. I mean, there were, the Greeks had a view, there were Roman, Romans, the reason why they created a slave culture is because they felt like work was beneath them. That's where that slave culture came from. No, we'll let the slaves do the work because that's beneath me. Greeks didn't work because they kind of felt like, uh, I want to be philosophical. I just want to use my mind and, and working with my hands. Oh, I would never do that. But here's what I want to tell you. Here's the thing. Do you know that when God created man, remember I'm talking about mankind because when he created Adam, remember Eve was in there. Right? Everything was in there. Everything was in that path. Human was there. So when he created human, when he created Adam, when he created man, you want to know one of the first things he did? He put him to work. He said, here, he'll put you in the garden, and your job is to tend the garden. One of the first things that God did was put us to work. You know, I, I, heard, uh, I heard Lou Holtz, who's uh, a famous football coach um, and a great motivator. The only thing I have against him is he's Catholic, but that's okay, too. Uh, you know, I know Patty said, oh. <laughs> but he's, he's a, he, is, he is a great motivator. And, um, you know, I really took this to heart. Uh, he said there are four things uh, that you need in life, four things that everybody needs no matter who you are. Let me go from the fourth back uh, to the first one. All right, the, the last one he said is, everybody needs a dream. Everybody needs a dream. Not just, not just goals and strategies, but everybody needs a dream, a vision. Martin Luther King gave, Jr. gave one of the greatest speeches in the history, in my opinion, of man. One of the greatest speeches in the history of man. And, but he said, he didn't say, uh, he said, I have a dream. He didn't say, I have a strategic plan and vision to bring our country together. I have four points and three different ways we can bring our country together. No, he said, I have a dream. I have a vision. That's what you start with. Everybody needs a dream and a vision, and then we can plot it out. And then we sit down and pray, and God gives us a way to get there. But you start with a dream. That's number four. Number three is everybody needs someone to believe in them. We all need somebody to believe in us. We all believe in someone, but we all need somebody to believe in us, no matter who it is, your wife, your husband, your mom, sister, best friend, somebody you met at school. We all need somebody to believe in us to make it through. Number two is we all need somebody to love. We know that we need someone to love us. We know that. And hopefully we get that as babies starting right off. But we all need somebody to love because love has to be reciprocal. Love has to, we get it from the Father, and so we have to give it out. That's the way it works. We can't be a reservoir. We have to be a river. We all need somebody to love. And then number one, we all need something to do. Everybody needs something to do. Now, I know we have several people who are retired now uh, in our congregation, uh, but, uh, you know, it's interesting to me, the more that I talk to different people uh, who have retired, <laughs> you know, the more they say, you know, I'm busier now, right, <laughs> than I was when I was working, it seems like. I, I used to, um, when I worked for AT&T, I was a supervisor. And uh, 
one of the first, in the first two months as me being supervisor, I had uh, several people who had 30 years uh, working at the company. And uh, what happens is uh, they were ready to retire. So a new regime was coming in. There were a lot of old managers that were going out and a lot of new ones coming in. And I was one of those new managers that were coming in. And they said, great, this is for you young people. Uh, good luck with what you're doing. And I'm ready to retire. And one guy who I got to know pretty well over those first two months, name was Bob. And uh, got to know him. He, he came into my office and talked to me a lot just about what he had been through over the last 30 years. And he said he was ready to retire and he didn't want to do anything. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of working and this place has been a burden to me. And, uh, you know, all this time I'm sick of it. I'm just going to go home and do nothing. I said, well, you're going to watch TV? He said, I'm not going to watch TV. I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit on the couch. And it's a true story. I said, man, Bob, that's, that's, I said, it sounds nice. You know, I didn't know. I said, it sounds nice. You're just going to go home and sit on the couch. And uh, don't you know that 10 days, 10 days, Bob was 64, 10 days after he had retired, I heard from his daughter, he passed away. Passed away. That's sad, isn't it? Now, I can't say what I can't say is directly related, but, you know, I mean, we need something to do, folks. We need something to do, whatever it might be. Clean the house, do something. We, we, in fact, we're trying to get Sharon to stop doing stuff. She's out in the garden. We say, Sharon, you need to, you know, you need to go relax. <laughs> but we just feel that. We need something to do. And so God put that in us for us to do something. The Hebrew word for work means an act or, or doing a service. It means actually doing something. The Greek word for work means business or trade by which you find fulfillment. You find fulfillment. We need to look for ways to find fulfillment in work. Do you know that God is the model worker for us? You might say, man, you're, you're going off. I thought you was going to teach me some biblical truths today. I thought we was going to, you know, get into the Bible and learn about, you know, Onesimus or, you know, Theopolis or something. But I want to tell you, this, I think this is more relevant than anything else that we learn in the Bible because we spend so much of our life doing it. And that's working. I mean, listen, you, we need to have faith in work. <laughs> God, God, you know, we talk about faith and, uh, you know, faith, you know, it's one of the things, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a faith guy. I, you know, I believe that you, we walk by faith and not by sight. You are justified by faith and you can't please God without it. You got to have it. People were healed in the Bible with it and it alone. So we must have it. But what we can't do is sit back and just say, okay, Lord, I have faith. If you don't, what did James say? Somebody knows what James said about faith. He said, yeah, show me your faith. I'll show you my, I'll show you my faith by my works, <laughs> right? And so it's not just about works, uh, but it's about doing action. It's about, hey, I believe it, but you have to have corresponding action. That's what my wife always says. With your faith, with your confession, corresponding action. Because if you confess one thing and do something different, you really don't have faith. Faith is more than saying it. And so this has to be, it's part of our workplace too. This has to be part of our workplace. God created the heavens and the earth. You think that was an easy task? I mean, you know, that, that's work. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's a working God. Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never slumber or sleep. We all need something to do, including God. He's the one who created it. God created man to be in his own image. If he was a working God and he did all of these things, he created us in his own image. He, he gave us a job. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. He gave us something to do. 
Think about uh, Adam naming the animals. You think that was an easy job? Yeah, naming all the animals? You might say, well, yeah, he just, you know, what do you think of when you think of that? You think, oh, yeah, well, okay, there's a lion, there's a tiger, there's a bear, there's a poodle, you know, that's the dog, uh, that's a fly, you know, whatever it might be. And you think about that. And it's, okay, well, that's not too bad. But here, listen to this. There, scientists have classified almost a million kinds of animals. There are more than 800,000 kinds of insects, which is the largest group by far. There are more than 30,000 kinds of fish, 9,000 kinds of birds. I could go on, 6,000 kinds of reptiles, 3,000 kinds of amphibians, 5,000 kinds of mammals, and 350,000 different kinds of plants on this earth. I think it took him a little time to do that. I mean, I, I think that was a little work. I think that takes a little work. And so we complain about work. Then he said, I want, you to, I want you to tend to the garden. You think that was easy work? Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a curse now. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, it wasn't, the ground wasn't cursed. So it wasn't, uh, well, it wasn't hard labor, but it was work. It gave him something to do, to cultivate the ground. And he did it in excellence. Come on. To see, oversee the Garden of Eden. Listen how big the Garden of Eden was. You might say, oh, just a little garden, and you're imagining the garden out in your uh, backyard. But think about this. We know the Garden of Eden was large enough to have four rivers. Ever seen a river runs through it? Well, four rivers ran through this one. Come on. It was a huge area. And so we know uh, that, and then from there we know that sin really, sin corrupted mankind, but sin also corrupted work. Sin corrupted work for God. I mean, for man. You know, it, it, it corrupted us. And so what, here's, here's what we want to get to. Here's what I want to get to. You can jot these down. There's a purpose for us working. It's a purpose for us working. And we need to understand that we have a purpose for that. We have a purpose for it. We need to find purpose in our work. All right? The first thing we need to do is understand that work is there to worship and serve God in and through my work. Worship and serve God in and through my work. So when you're there at work, well, it's, it's not that you're at work and you're praying out loud and bothering other people, playing your music louder than the other person's playing their music. And, you know, you're, it's, it's, you're not there to get on people's nerves, <laughs> okay? It's, it's not about that. But it's about doing things in excellence. Doing things in excellence. So purpose for working. You can go all the way down. To worship and serve God through my work, that's number one. Number two is to see work as a gift from God that brings personal fulfillment, okay? So we're there to worship God through our work, so I do it with excellence, and then I glorify God with that, and then I look at it as a gift from God. Now, I know, again, I'm not telling you that these are easy things to do when you go to work and you don't feel like being there because folks are getting on your nerves and you've been offended and you're not making as much money as the other person, and you know I'm smarter than this guy, but because I'm a woman, I'm making less money or whatever it might be, and so it's difficult to look at this as a gift from God. Thanks for the gift. But we glorify him in it knowing that our payment comes from him. And I don't want to get too far off, but not only, I'm not just talking about when we all get to heaven. That's, I'm, I'm talking about in this time. God will reward you in this time. We need to see that work is an absolute gift from God. Number three, we need to be able to understand that work is there for us to be able to use our resources to meet not only our needs, but to help others. That's what it's there for, to get resources to meet your needs and also to help meet the needs 
of others. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. First Thessalonians 4, verse 11 says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, but it says to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. God doesn't want you to lack anything. But it also says that you may walk properly towards those who are not Christians, those who are outside of the Christian community. You want to rock. If they see you doing things in excellence, they'll say, hmm, there's something about that person. But if they see you being lazy, which is a sin, come on. How's that going to draw them to Christianity? Because you know a few scriptures? Because you cry in service? Because what? But they, they see what you do. People often forget what you say. But very often they don't forget what you do. Come on. And then number four, to prosper in my work so I can give toward the extension of the kingdom of God. Again, it's reciprocal. You reap what you sow. The kingdom of God works different than the economy of the world. This kingdom works different. So I want to prosper. I want to be excellent so that I prosper in my work so that I can give toward this extension of the kingdom of God. And then finally, we want to see our workplace as our mission field. Probably most importantly, we want to see our workplace as our mission field to spread the gospel of Christ. Right? And how do you do that? Well, uh, you may say, well, um, you know, you just said don't uh, go to work and start preaching to people. And do, you got to do your work. You got to do your work. You know, that the man didn't hire you to come and preach. <laughs> that man, that woman hired you to come and do your work. But when you do it excellent. Uh, you draw people unto you. When God anoints you to do that, you draw people unto you. They come to you with questions. I remember, um, and this was before I was uh, a pastor or, uh, you know, I, I didn't go around, um, you know, uh, proclaiming that in the workplace I'm a Christian, so if you got problems, come to me. You know, I didn't say I was just doing my work. You know what I found is that more people came down to my little cubicle and started talking about their relationship with their wife. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, shoot, you know, Dietrich and I, we need to go to Eldon and Patty to get ourselves together, you know. And he, here he is asking me, uh, you know, uh, questions about this kind of stuff. And he's, they're asking me uh, different things and wanting to talk about personal things, and, you know, something about it. What is it? Well, it's not because of me. It's not because I personally was so attractive to come to and talk to, but it's because I did my work excellent. I mean, I enjoyed it. I, you know, it, was, it wasn't work that I asked for. It wasn't even work that I went to school for. But I, I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it excellent. And that meant something to others. And so you'll draw other people to you. See your workplace as a mission field to spread the gospel. I think when we talk about our faith and when we talk about walking through life, being in the workplace and being excellent in the workplace and being biblical in the workplace, being a Christian and showing Christian values in the workplace is one of the most important things that we can do in life. Just as important as coming to church on Sunday morning and, uh, you know, fellowshipping and praying and getting healed and all of those things. But you spend 90,000 hours of your life at work, just a little more than one-third of your life at work. Look at it as an important part of your life, as a gift from God, and as an opportunity to spread the gospel of Christ through your excellence. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord some praise for our job. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, before we finish today, I'm going to ask uh, Elder Michael Morgan to come on up and just share a few things also uh, about uh, being in the workplace, some of his experiences, and then he'll pray for you. Amen. 
was a little uh, taken back by his request. But then I thought about it. Um, I, I, I do. I work at IU. Most of you, most of you know that uh, I work in IT, uh, and uh, I would say most of my coworkers are fairly highly educated uh, folks, and this creates a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> so, and and it shouldn't, right? It should be just the same. But educated people tend to think, why do I need Christ? Why do I need anything other than what I already have? It, it, it's funny. Uh, no matter where, I've, I've worked in several jobs across the, uh, the years, and people tell dirty jokes. Uh, when I had the crust of the earth job, uh, being in the military was really bad in the military. Uh, but even at IU, even in places where you would think it would be pro pro professional, so the question is, when somebody tells the dirty joke, what do they do around you? Do they tell that joke? Do you laugh? Do you participate? Or do they say, we can't say that around Michael. We can't say that around Michael. Why would they say that? If I am Christ-like, it should convict them to even do that. Now, does it always happen? Should always happen? Does it always happen? Do I participate? I do my best not to participate in things like that. And I would like to say that every time somebody does that, they don't do it around me. So that means that my witness is not strong enough. Pastor Mike always talks about being transparent. I can tell you right now, I do not go to work and preach Christ. I do, however take Christ with me to work. So when I speak, I don't curse. I don't let people see me upset. I don't let them see me frustrated. Doesn't mean that I don't get frustrated, but I try to walk the walk while I'm at work. This is not to lift me up because I am nowhere near where I need to be. I'm at the bottom trying to work my way up. Uh, but in our workplaces, everything that we do needs to honor Christ. This concept of worship as work that he referred to, should be our everyday thing. It should be worship. We should be worshiping God in the things that we do. So I install telephones every now and then, or, or I, I, I program web pages. All of that stuff should be work, and it should glorify God. It, it should be worship. So how do you do that? How do you worship? Do you have to sit there and pray all day long? I don't think so. I think what he was trying to say, at least what I got from it, was that excellence in everything I do glorifies God. In the things that I do and I do in excellence, they are glory to God.